Anyway, we're in Malachi, and uh, it's a mess. People have uh, drifted away from the living God. Religion's become just a formality, and the heart uh, has been ripped out. In chapter 2, marriages are at a low ebb. They're breaking down. There are divorces, and men are marrying uh, younger women from foreign nations, and God is angry, and God is displeased. And we're told what God desires, that uh, he desires godly marriages. And so we've had a couple of uh, sermons now. We've uh, focused on how to find a wife or a husband, a life partner. And then we've looked at this question, what is a marriage? And here in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 15, here's a little summary, and we had a whole sermon on this. But God, but did he, that's God, not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? A man, what is a marriage? A man and a woman coming together in a lifelong commitment. The two wonderfully becoming one, and it happens and God sees it that way. And as we grow older together, uh, we're thinking the same thoughts almost at the same time and saying the same things uh, at the same time. And it's wonderful how that develops. The key is having a remnant of the Spirit. These are Christian marriages, a Christian man, a Christian woman coming together before God and a lifelong commitment. The two become one. And a successful and a godly marriage is a Spirit-filled and a Spirit-empowered marriage. But we're moving on now. Why is it that God desires and requires godly marriages? Well, here it is, the second part of verse 15 of uh, Malachi chapter 2. And why one? Why does God make them one? He seeks godly offspring. Do you want to launch from that verse? God seeking, God desiring godly children. So little children here tonight, God desires that you should be godly. You should become more and more like him. You should be like the Lord Jesus Christ. God desires godly offspring, godly children. Now, in the, uh, the marriage vows, I've got my FIEC Evangelical Minister's Manual. I've used this many times in, in weddings. And most wedding services will say these, these words. The purposes for which marriage was given are, firstly, that a man and a woman might enjoy lifelong companionship help and comfort from each other. Lifelong, 10 years, 20, 30, 40, that's including me now, 50, 60, some here, 70 if the Lord gave you strength. Lifelong companionship, help and comfort from each other. Secondly, that children might be conceived, born and reared within the security, stability and sanctity of the marriage bond. Mutual companionship for the husband and the wife. And if the Lord blesses with children, they might be reared within the security, stability, and sanctity of the marriage bond. What a wonderful, wonderful picture of children. That psalm there, Psalm 78, I won't read through it again, all about the fathers, mothers, telling their children all about the Lord, 
that they in their turn might tell their children about the Lord. So much of this uh, throughout the Scriptures. Here's uh, Joshua and chapter 4. An incident as they are crossing the River Jordan. Joshua chapter 4, and let me read from verse 5. And Joshua said to them, here's the people, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Here's something to be raised up. Here's a talking point with your children, the Lord is saying. When they ask the question, you will give them the answer imparting knowledge to your children. Going back to Deuteronomy, this famous little section here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Parents and their children. Deuteronomy 6, you read from verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Here's the law of God summed up. Love God, uh, love your neighbour, and teach these things to your children. And do it in a very natural way. Do it when you're sitting at home. Do it when you're walking around Roth Park Lake. And a question comes up. Well, Daddy, what's happening tonight at the Heath Church? A little baby's going to be baptised. What's that all about? What an opportunity. Could you explain it to them? Now, maybe different views on, on modes and forms, but it is a sign you can explain to them uh, the gospel. And then uh, the Lord is saying, now wear these verses, as it were, on your arm and on your forehead and put them on your doorpost. That became a formality uh, in Judaism. Really what's being said here to the parents is this. Don't only teach the Word of God to your children, be a living example of what it actually means. Or that we need grace. Now, our children need grace, my friends. They do. The grace to be saved and the grace to live the life divine. We as parents, if you are parents, and we as a local church, need grace every bit as much. For without Him, we can do absolutely nothing. So here we are, we're looking at this area of raising children. Tonight I'll uh, launch into it, this is the first part, we'll need two parts. 
Um, and th the first need that a child really does require is a stable, godly home. Let me emphasize that. A stable, godly home. Here are the two who become one with a remnant of the Spirit. Now, here's the work of the Holy Spirit. In a marriage, here's a husband and a wife. In a Christian marriage now, the two are coming together. Or oh, how husbands and wives, uh, we need that constant presence of the Lord in the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Now, my friends, if you are married, if you're single, never ever forget this, but we're happen to be talking about marriage and the raising of children. How we need God, the Holy Spirit. Never, ever, ever neglect the work of the Spirit. We need gospel power in our lives constantly. Now, we're going to come on to look at Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, Fathers, do not provoke your children, but raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Well, Ephesians chapter 6 comes after Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 that are just the gospel. And the wonder of all that God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 4 onwards comes a great big therefore. It's now a matter of application in so many realms and areas of our everyday life. He comes towards his conclusion with husbands, love your wives. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in everything. Parents, don't provoke your children to anger. In all these injunctions, we need gospel power, otherwise it's mere morality, which will always fail. So a stable, godly home. A little child to thrive needs to see mum and dad actually love each other. Keep it fresh. Keep that real. And the little children need to see that mum and dad actually help each other. It's not just words. There's a real care. There's kindness. And there are words, but acts of kindness they can see. And the little discussions that mum and dad might have about things they disagree with, it's not in front of the children. It's not that we always agree with each other as husbands and wives. There are things we need to talk through, certainly. But the children need to see that stability. Mum and dad love each other. The children need to see that mum and dad actually love the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why are we going to church twice on a Sunday, Daddy? What an opportunity. Daddy, why aren't we going to church tonight? The other mummies and daddies are, oh, I know that uh, the Septimus's mummy and daddy are going. Why, why aren't we? Well, what are you going to say then? Why do we read the Bible each day, uh, Daddy? Why do you read Bible stories to us in the evening, uh, mummy? The children need to see not only that mum and dad love each other, but mum and dad really do love the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not a matter of mere religion. There's something real about this. It's not just a Sunday thing. Not just a midweek thing. And it's not just that, well, we, we've got to do these things. We love to do these things. We love the Lord Jesus Christ. So the children need to see for this stability. Mum and dad love each other. 
mum and dad loved Jesus, they need to see and understand that mum and dad love the church that we attend. Now, as the church worldwide, but the Lord has set us in families, and there are you folks here, the most of you, are members of this local church. Now, every Christian needs to be a member somewhere. If you're not yet a member, then uh, do go and see the pastor on a Sunday evening after the evening service and uh, ask about membership. Now, you can attend the church whether you're a member or not. But it's a biblical principle to belong to an actual local church. And that local church becomes your spiritual family. And we ought to love one another deeply from the heart, care for each other, support each other, and as in any family, there will be disagreements and arguments and things to work through. But in the end, we love each other. And children need to see that. Children need to hear you speaking well of the church. And as you go home in the car, the conversation isn't, well, that was a mess this morning, wasn't it? And what about that that he said there? And what about that discordant tune that there was? And what about this... Something very positive. We love the place, O Lord, wherein thine honour dwells. So, I tell you this about the local church. Jesus loves it very much. How much? He gave his life for it. Yeah. Do we love the local church? Stability. Children are brought up where mum and dad love each other. They love the Lord Jesus Christ. They love the local church. Now, we're sinners as parents. There are times when we get it wrong, but there should be no consistent inconsistency. Clearly, Jesus loves little children. That wonderful passage and the hymns we sang based on that passage, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. This speaks to the whole church. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not a parent. Now, I'm still a parent and my youngest child is... Well, he's 27 now, and the oldest have reached 40. And they're still my children. Our relationship has changed, definitely. I can't tell them to uh, eat their greens anymore and things like that. But there is a, still that dynamic and the relationship there with them. But God's speaking to a whole church. I'm now a grandfather as well, and a grandparent. And that's a real delight and a joy uh, to see them and to have time with them and to, uh, well, maybe sadly overindulge them a little at, at times. Well, all right, go on. But um, something very wonderful and a different relationship there. But it, it pertains here that the whole church should love little children. So good to see little children here tonight. Now, there are more little children in the church than are here tonight. Now, I know some are at home because it's bedtime and they need to be up for school and they need that extra rest. But I just love to see a church full of children morning and, and evening. And we need to do what we can to encourage that and facilitate that. And I don't mind, I said this so often in St. Melons, if a little child is crying, I've got a microphone. You know, in families that are alive, don't you have children that cry? I mean, I was at a party yesterday, one of my daughter's 40th birthday, and there's, uh, the, well, there's quite a mix of, of kids there. There's a little, little baby, he's only four months old, and yeah, he was crying for a while. 
No, we didn't banish him to the garage. No, he, he stayed in the room with us. He really did. Now, there might come a time in a service where the child is really getting to a high pitch in its excitement of wanting something, and then we have facilities. What you don't want as a parent, at the first sound of your child making a noise, is a, a tut. I mean, how discouraging. Listen, you are adults. You are able to focus, even above the noise. You can pick out my words. Oh, maybe turn around and give a smile. Don't worry. Don't worry. Persevere. I went through this as well. You'll come through it. There are better days ahead, and I guarantee there are different problems ahead. But, uh, oh, as, as a whole church, to encourage the little children in their journey towards the wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So now, parents, here are some words directed very much towards you in Ephesians and repeated in very similar words uh, in, in Colossians. But I want to focus here in drawing to a conclusion this evening. It might become a three-part series or a four-part series at this uh, pace. But here it is, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. And also Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20. But Ephesians 6 and verse 4. And you fathers, and I want to widen that to, to parents. There's an obvious reason for that. And you parents, fathers, here's a negative first of all. And a little on the negative tonight and then the positive God willing next time. Do not, to think that you could do this. And so many parents sadly go this way. Do not provoke your children to wrath. Do not exasperate. That's another wonderful way of translating this word. Don't exasperate your children, but rather, positive, bring them up in the training and in the admonition of the Lord. And then Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21. Fathers, again, do not provoke your children. Now, this is interesting. Lest they become discouraged. What a sad thing to have dispirited, broken-spirited, discouraged, brow-beaten children. So we have a negative and we have a positive. First of all, the negative. Before we even get to the negative, let's look at this uh, injunction to fathers in particular. Fathers, it's your primary responsibility to see that these injunctions are fulfilled. That you bring up your children in the training, in the knowledge, in the admonition of the Lord. And on that great day, it's fathers who will answer primarily for this particular area. How are children were encouraged and not discouraged in the things of God. Fathers, your primary responsibility. Mothers, this often falls to you for large parts of the day for obvious reasons. It's delegated in your direction. Uh, father is out at work. You are in the home with the children. So you're in partnership together here. Mum and dad. So really, let's read into this. Parents... 
the primary responsibility, because it does say fathers falls on the fathers. You should see that this is happening, but you are working together, heirs together the grace of God, working together to raise these children, that they're not discouraged, that they're not exasperated, but that they're growing and learning about the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and being trained in the things of God. Now, just a little digression in this area. Might well be a three or four part series. Husbands and wives. Now, I'm old enough to remember a generation and an age. I think of uh, where I lived as uh, a little lad with my sister, uh, Avon Drive in Barn Oldswick. And on that street, most men were employed at the Rolls Royce factory over the canal bridge and down the hill and into the factory. And work was from 8 in the morning till 4.30. At 4.30, there'd be a big hooter that would sound. All the men would flood out. Uh, 4,000 men employed there. It's quite a sight. On our street, almost every mother was at home, being a home maker. Dad went to work. Mum got us ready for school. She'd get my sister in the pram and she'd push the pram and I'd be there as well. When my brother came along, uh, he's in the pram and me and my sister hanging on to my mum's hands and she'd walk us to school and she'd come back. Now, I didn't like school dinners, so she'd then go up the town and get me and bring me home again and give me lunch. I don't know, we wouldn't do it, but she did it. And then back with us again, me again and then back home and getting the evening meal ready and back to pick me up and then back again and then dad comes home. Uh, Mum had an order for everything. Everything had its place to live in the house. A speck of dust didn't land in our house. Uh, it was on, on warning. But she was a home maker. And I remember in the house as well, there were, there'd be a certain cupboard. And in that cupboard, there's a pot and it had the rent money in it. Another pot, there was the holiday fund. Another pot, there was, uh, I don't know, the, the housekeeping. Another pot, all little things. She was a a wonderful budgeter, and all those pots were there, and money for the gas meter and the electric meter. Mum ran the home, and I knew mum was always at home. And I want to say this carefully, that's the ideal. But times have changed. I understand that, times have changed. And very often, just to survive, mum needs to get a job as well. The Lord understands that. If you need to, both of you to work to survive, the Lord understands that and He will make up the difference. He's a gracious God. But if mum is working and the children are being left almost to fend for themselves or given to somebody else so that you can have two or three holidays, a bigger car, a bigger house for the luxuries of life, I want to say the Lord doesn't understand that. He's often gracious anyway. Where you can, where it's possible, it's wonderful to have the mum as the homemaker, the financial director. So many talents she has to bring to bear at that time. But I do understand the Lord understands. Times are different to what they were when I was being brought up. And that's a large digression. Another digression, and with this we might have to end uh, this evening. 
What about, I understand what you're saying about mum and dad, the two being believers and coming together in the work of the Holy Spirit and pulling together and working that our children might be taught the things of God and praying that the Spirit might visit them and they might come to believe these things too. And we're being pointers towards the Saviour. You see, we only do what we can do as parents. We can only point, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And God will not expect you to do what cannot be done by you. It's He who saves. And just to say this, I know of children who have had the most godly parents who as yet haven't come to faith and drifted and denying the faith. I also know parents who have been pretty slipshod in their attendance and, uh, and the things of God and shown a cool heart. And their children have come to faith. It's not about what we are doing, but we do what we can do. And we point to the Lord Jesus Christ and we set boundaries, but we're keeping the gospel clear. I wanted to make this real and wonderful for them. But always bearing in mind, if we're looking to him and doing what we can, we don't fail. We never fail. In him, it's always glorious and wonderful. Only the Lord can save and convert a soul. So if you're one of those parents whose children have gone astray and they haven't come to faith yet, you're thinking, what have I done that's wrong? Probably nothing at all. Keep on praying. Now, that's when two parents are united in faith. What about if one parent is a believer and the other is an unbeliever? I have to say that situation is more difficult. It's difficult already to raise children. But if one parent isn't a believer, the other one is, it is, I have to admit, it is more difficult. But I'll tell you this, the Lord will help. He will help. Do not be in dismay. Listen to these wonderful verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm sure when you mentioned these, when you were preaching on, on baptism, but it's, uh, it's worth hearing again. Listen to this now. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 13. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified. It's a wonderful word. Uh, set apart by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is, same word, sanctified, set apart by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are, it's a closely related word, but not quite the same, but now they are holy. In that situation, children being brought up in a godly home, viewed by God as set apart, Something very, very special. Even if one of the parents isn't believing, the wife sanctified by the husband, the husband sanctified by the wife, with the view of the children very much in mind. And if that's the case where there's an unbelieving parent, how much more wonderful is it when both parents believe? Listen, God is in this with you. Right? The raising of children. 
Not easy. We're not getting very far tonight. I'm going to draw it to a conclusion. Before we get on to the don't exasperate your children, then that'll be next time, God willing. Then looking at the positives. And I wonder if from this there might be a need for some sort of ongoing uh, series that could be done midweek, whether it's mother and toddlers or musical movement or whatever. It's something else, maybe a monthly thing for unbelieving parents. Here's a parenting uh, course. There's a book. I have to recommend this book. Now, I wish I'd read this. 30 years ago. Now, Paul David Tripp is an excellent speaker and a superb writer. Now, some people can speak well, but they're not very good at writing. Others are great at writing, not very good at speaking. Uh, Paul David Tripp is a, a wonderful conference speaker and a most excellent writer. Now, he's written this book, well entitled, simply entitled, Parenting. And it's got the subtitle, Gospel 14 gospel principles that can radically change your family. Well, it's very American there, all right? But there are great principles here. We're not just laying down the law. There is law for our children, but more than that, there is grace. There is gospel grace. And this is a most wonderful book. I'm rereading it, and I wish I'd read it 30 years ago. Now, if you haven't got a copy, uh, Robin has some in the bookshop, and I'm sure he can get plenty more. So do... Avail yourselves of a book like this, and maybe there could be a series of little meetings we could get from this for converted parents and unconverted parents, just going through a book like this uh, together. But I want to leave things at this point. God is for you in the raising of your children. Keep on looking to him. Oh, let me say this. This is really important, and note, note it well. When it comes to your ministries, if you have children, this is by far your greatest ministry. All right? You might be a pastor or an elder or a deacon or a youth leader, a Sunday school teacher, and there are, there are ministries, certainly. But your priority, if you're a parent, is your children. And see it as that. That is your priority over anything else. Now, I'll pick that up next time. I wanted to say it tonight. It's really important. I want to pick that up and develop it. Why it is your chief ministry while those children are with you. But let's leave it there at this point. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this brief time in your word. All too brief. How quickly... Uh, the time goes. We pray in this important area of children as a whole church, you'd help us to embrace these little ones as the Lord Jesus Christ did and bid them to, to come and not to discourage them in any way. For those who are parents here, Father, give them grace, give them strength. For the little children here tonight, we pray in your mercy that you would save them. Pray for little Seth again that your good hand will be upon him now and throughout his life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's close this part of the service with a well-known hymn, not this time from the children's section, Sovereign Grace or Sin Abounding.
Hallelujah, Father. Grace shall indeed reign eternally. And we just praise thee that salvation is all of grace, all of the Lord. And we thank thee for the word that we've heard tonight, for challenging us, for comforting us as well. And we just ask, O oh God, that every one of us here, whether we are parents, especially parents, but even if we're not parents, just help us to put into practice by the enabling of the Holy Spirit so that we will be more and more like Jesus Christ. Bless us now. Uh, bless Owen as he ministers uh, the ordinance of baptism. Bless Seth and Nathan and Yenna. And bless us all in Jesus' name. Amen.